What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Lab Audio Inventory. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to part two of our discussion of common speed training tools in a team sports setting and our critique of that, how we would use them or how we would potentially not use them and what alternatives we would go because of it. So if one of you guys want to introduce this week's topic, and we can take from there. Yeah, so uh, we work with a lot of team sport athletes. Um, we have a very track-centered bias here at Athletic Lab, and uh, we, we, I say that unabashedly, but I think that track uh, is the mother of all sports when it comes to physical development. So I, I don't think we apologize for that, but we do take that approach, I think, when it comes to speed development. It's very similar to uh, what we think is best practices for speed development, even in team sports. Obviously, it needs to be changed a little bit, but let's go through and talk about a handful of the things that we've seen, um, maybe some different training means and methods that coaches have, uh, although well-intentioned, mistaken as mistake, mistakenly used as being synonymous with speed training. Um, Greg, you want to lead off here with a first example? So first thing I guess I'll bring up is um, basically speed training by use of things that aren't running fast or sprinting. So um, I guess a lot of times you might see people try to backdoor their way into um, getting fast or sprinting faster. Um, as we know, or as we should know, the the best way to develop uh, sprint velocity is by sprinting. So some things that may, maybe are commonly used that aren't sprinting that are maybe meant to replicate or they uh, people think that they're developing speed are things like um, people calling them speed ladders or agility ladders for the sake of speed or maybe even heavy, heavy uh, sled pushes, um, something that's a little bit much, much slower actually. So just to kind of touch on maybe each of them briefly, because we've actually already done a talk on agility and speed ladders, but um, for the purpose here, basically uh, moving the feet through a series of ladders through different drills um, is, is obviously not sprinting. So the speeds with which, or the forces that are being put into the ground are not even close to what's gonna be um, seen during a sprint and also the the positions that you're putting your body in aren't even close to what you're doing what you're actually seeing in a sprint so we, we really can't call that speed development we can call it maybe fast feet development but we, that's a different conversation for any benefit toward that um, another thing on the other side of it is the the slower like heavy sled push so again for developing capacity for strength through the lower body may be a really great tool, but uh, we have to keep in mind that um, to actually move our body fast, we need to move our body fast. So sprinting um, is is obviously much faster than something we can, it's like a sled where we can load it up, it's going to be much slower, and uh, we just can't replicate the same amount of speed even though we can produce great forces. So we need a balance of both and specifically a lot of force really, really quickly when we're going for, for sprint training. So, I'll touch on one uh, that uh, is actually used by a lot of track coaches, but I think is mistaken both in the track and field community as well as in team sports as a direct stimulus for improving speed, and that's sprint drills. Uh, while we use sprint drills quite a bit here, 
really I think they should be thought of less as true speed work and more as skill work. So what we're trying to do there is uh, teach the athlete the body positions and alignments and give them familiarity and context for the cueing that we're going to use at top speed uh, in a slower, more controlled environment. It's easier to learn positions, uh, especially in when we're looking at parts of the body rather than doing things at uh, the whole body at the same time or doing things at slower velocities than it would be when trying to make changes at top end speed. So really we view sprint drills as something more like skill development in particular things like postural alignment and how to contact the ground and less about developing the actual physical capacities necessary to sprint well. So if you wanted to develop speed, you know, you, you might develop an improvement in skill to develop speed. Uh, you might develop the body awareness and the proprioception of the postures and foot contacts that it takes to run fast, but you're not going to actually develop speed through sprint drills alone. Uh, I came from, uh, grew up in close to the Canadian border, and I remember going across the border a couple times to some track and field meets where mock drills, what we now call sprint drills, were created. And I remember going up there as a high schooler and seeing these guys who were just phenomenal with every single sprint drill you could imagine and being kind of intimidated looking at them as a high schooler and seeing what they could do and when you actually went to see them sprint they were garbage a lot of times there was very little correlation with their their performance in the sprint drills and their actual sprinting ability so the coach if they're going to use them really needs to try to connect the dots in the technique and the actual task of sprinting, and they shouldn't be viewed as speed uh, speed training per se. So moving on to one other here is going to be as a matter of where you place your sprinting and how you set it up to actually be useful for speed development within this session. So a very common thing, let's say, among a sport like football would be to finish off a session with some um, fatigued sprinting. And the idea here is to be able to run fast even late in the game when you're tired. So doing something like one tens on the football team, uh, field with short rest and doing quite a lot of them. Uh, they'll be in a race format a lot of times. So you'll be with other athletes of similar position. You're pushing each other to try to run as fast as you can, even in that fatigue setting. And the idea is I want my guys as the coach to be able to run fast the whole game. So we're going to make sure that we are used to running fast even when we're tired. And so good intention there for sure. But if we're going to talk about then how we actually make sure we are able to be fast under fatigue, what's limiting there are two things. So one, how fast you actually are. So if you're slow in the first quarter, you can't be fast in the fourth quarter. You're just not a fast athlete. And to develop actual speed, doing that at the end of the session is definitely not, not the way to go. The fatigue that you have from the practice, the fatigue from the short recovery among the reps is going to drop the quality of the reps very, very quickly. And even the first one potentially doing at the end of the practice can't be a maximal effort. To actually get the most out of that speed session, it needs to be a maximal effort and high quality every single step of the way. And now the other side of that if you have the speed development or you are developing speed is then the fitness component there and how to actually recover. So when you are doing those type of tempo workouts and looking at the actual uh, energy system development of it is very important. So that type of workout there, if you're going to be doing, say, one 110s, so over the length of a typical football field, including the end zone here on one side, 
with short recovery, you're going to get something called very anaerobic very quickly. So you're going to have legs burning. You're going to be in a scenario where these reps are getting longer as we go, potentially even longer than typical football play. You're going to have plenty of plays in football that are less than five seconds. I don't know if I'm ahead what the average of um, a game would be, but a lot that are very, very short bouts with then a reasonable amount of recovery in between. There are some scenarios where you're doing hurry-up offense or whatnot where things are going to go quickly, but usually it's going to be this very quick burst of energy relative to that time, a long rest-to-recovery ratio, and then doing that again. So in that time period there where they're recovering, the aerobic energy system is what's going to be actually helping them be ready to go to sprint and or give a maximal effort in their position again on the next rep. So that anaerobic development, that long reps, short recovery, legs burning, isn't actually that specific to getting that task done. So that's going to be something we've got to keep in mind there. Absolutely using longer sprint reps like that can have a benefit. Um, using short recovery periods for fitness has a benefit. But you've got to look at the pieces of the puzzle there and how to best, ad- best address each one of those rather than just putting it all together into one soup and throwing it in at the end of the workout. You could potentially be doing more harm than good by taking that strategy. Yeah, I'll wrap this one up by uh, saying if, if you want to improve speed, we've got to knock out a couple things. One is specificity. So the closer you can get to actually sprinting, the better off you're going to be. That's going to kind of rule out a little bit of sprint drills, certainly agility ladder, and even some resisted uh, running in some forms, especially if it's something like a super heavy sled. Likewise, we need to have super high intensity. I, I look at speed development as something that needs to both maximize intent and minimize fatigue. So if we look at the context of workouts that Matt was talking about, the intent might be really high. They might be trying very hard to get down the field in 15 seconds, but when they have insufficient rest, uh, the fatigue is likewise very hard. So it becomes fatigue constrained intensity. 15 seconds for a fast guy to cover 110 10 yards is not very fast at all. Uh, a lot of those guys, if they were not fatigued and didn't have to do it repeatedly, could actually do it in you know, 11, 11 and 11 and a half seconds. So we need to make sure that the session, if our goal is to improve speed, has high specificity in some fashion and also high intensity, maximum intent from the athlete, and we are controlling the amount of fatigue that the athlete is experiencing. So that means giving sufficient amount of rest and recovery in between repetitions and sets if you're going to set it up like that, but also controlling the volume so that there is not uh, a high level of volume-induced fatigue. So I think that's what we've got for this section. We've got one more uh, part three of this series coming up next where we will talk about some more facts and fallacies of training. All right, guys, that's it. Thanks for listening. If you like this, you can rate us. You can share this with your friends. And if you have a question, go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor, anywhere you can find us. Drop us a DM and we'll try to answer it when we can.